Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. I'll be hosting this episode. For more than 20 years, I've provided leadership and guidance in technology and software development. When I'm not networking, making connections, and trying to help out wherever I can, I follow my creative passions of graphic design and photography. Please join me now as I sit down for a chat with Bryden Gill. Hi, everybody. I'm Al Deldegan, and I'm here with my special guest from Cool IT Systems, Bryden Gill. Hi, Bryden. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Al. Thanks. This is uh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Um, so let's let's start out where everybody uh, likes to start out, and it's the most obvious place to start out. Um, Tell me your uh, origin story for yourself personally, and then we'll talk a little bit about Cool IT Systems and um, maybe the origin story, because I know there's uh, some interesting detail in that one as well. So Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, for myself, I, uh, it's interesting that I ended up in, in this uh, environment, I guess you know, I would call it. I am um, a, a farm kid. I have no engineering degree, uh, which is uh, kind of comical around here with the amount of people in the building that have PhDs and, and things like that. So, um, but, uh, when, when we kind of first started, uh, it, it came about as a, uh, really a cottage industry idea. We thought we would, we would, you know, experiment with building, uh, liquid cooling for desktop computers. Uh, one of the other founders that I started the company with, uh, we were uh, musician buddies actually from early, early days in the, in the nineties. And uh, had sort of lost touch with each other for a little while, and uh, when we rejoined, he uh, he came into my back then a business that I was running as a fabrication shop, and uh, good with my hands. You know, that's the kind of background I have. More of a, a tradesman, I guess, sort of background is where I came from. Um, but when uh, when when Sandy showed up at my building, Sandy Scott was his name. He uh, literally had a box full of parts and he showed up at my, at my office and he said, I need your help with some, uh, some ideas I have on, on liquid cooling computers, which I had no interest in computers at the time. And, uh, but thought it was a, you know, just kind of an interesting, uh, problem solve that uh, or problem to solve, I guess. And it's a weird it's a weird way to look at things too, because computers generally don't like liquids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that, that was for many years, that was the, the concern. We were, we were so far ahead of the curve. It seemed like that, uh, that people just, it was only the, the, the cutting edge or risk takers that would, would, would want to experiment with such an idea. But, uh, yeah, it, it rapidly became, uh, you know, more than just the, the idea of it being something we build on weekends for buddies or whatever. Uh, it, Within the first year, we were uh, sitting face to face with Intel, as an example, back early, early, like just after we uh, incorporated the company. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, quite a a leap from uh, first prototype to within a year sitting in front of some of these, uh, you know, engineers and and uh, I'll call them egghead types that uh, work for Intel in there and a division of theirs that looked, you know, to the future, what, what could possibly, you know, be five to seven years down the road is what they sort of focused on. 
and uh, it became apparent that we we did have something uh, you know that they were interested in and and that the industry knew they were going to need in the in the near future so cool. uh, like I said ahead of the curve a bit but uh, but definitely uh, you know on the right path to, to something so okay. we didn't maybe quite know what yet before we go too much into cool IT's history I want to learn a little bit more about you so you said okay. farm kid yeah um, yeah what what uh, what was your you know, growing up, what was growing up like and what kind of led you to becoming, um, I guess, I mean, you sort of hinted that you were working in a machine environment and then somebody came right. to you with this idea, but let's rewind just a little bit sure. and talk about more about what kind of kid you were like. Well, growing up on a farm, you, uh, especially, uh, I'm, I'm turning 50 in a year. And, uh, so in the, in the seventies, things were different, obviously. And, uh, I grew up with a couple older brothers and an older sister and, and, uh, they were quite a bit older than me. So when they left the farm, it was just me kind of helping my, my parents run the, run the farm. So I kind of got, uh, I, I'm spoiled for sure. I was the, the youngest of the family. So spoiled kid for sure. Fully admit that. But I also tease my brothers that, uh, when they left, I had to take over for three people's jobs as, uh, you know, the only kid at home still. So, uh, to the extreme where one year my dad got a blood poisoning infection where he couldn't, he couldn't move. Oh my gosh. Bedridden. So I did the entire harvest in, I think I was in grade 11. I had to basically take the entire fall off school and do the harvest by myself. So wow. yeah, that's character builder for sure. Yeah, for sure. So uh, work ethic comes from that, which I super appreciate. And I'm trying to instill that in, in my kids. I have, I have three kids of my own that are, are basically grown now. So they, uh, they learn from example, I guess, that uh, it, to get it done, it's it's more about grit than even anything. I would I would say. Yeah, so, and in, and entrepreneurship is all about grit. Certainly, yeah, yeah. I I, I jokingly say, you know, once in a while that if I would have known how hard this was going to be, I I might have uh, taken a second step uh, before <laughs> jumping in. But um, you know, the, no regrets. It's been. I've, uh, the school of hard knocks is a, is a, a is a term that's, uh, you know, I, I use because it's, <laughs> it is true. Right. Right. So, so this friend comes to you with a box, let's go back there and, um, yeah. sort of you, because he was a friend and because he had a problem, you were just willing to kind of help him solve it. How did that spin into, um, starting a company? Uh, yeah, so he, he was an interesting character. He was, uh, uh, I would call him a bit of a, uh, well, somewhat of a savant in some ways. He, he was uh, a self-taught gentleman who uh, obviously had knowledge of a lot of electronics. And uh, he's quite a bit older than I am. I think he's 10 years older than I am. So, I, you know, I looked up to him a bit as, as sort of a, a little on the crazy side, but I, I really enjoyed his, uh, his enthusiasm for solving problems. And, and, uh, so when he came to me, uh, yeah, it was literally just a box of stuff. And he understood that, that I had a, a you know, a, ability to build things. I'm good with my hands, like I said. And, uh, and I actually had a facility that would allow us to, you know, bend metal and drill holes and do things that we needed to do at the very beginning, which was, it was, it's literally, a, it was, was handmade. Everything we did was, was handmade uh, as prior to, you know, what we do today where there's 3d printing and all that, all that stuff. But so yeah, it was, it was literally just the problem itself was intriguing enough for me. I, 
again, I didn't, I didn't care about computers. I'm not a gamer. I just, it just doesn't interest me, but solving the problem and, and building something that, that could in the end, you know, help somebody that has uh, the ability to do like overclocking and things like that, which, which I learned through the first few years. I, I had no idea that CPUs could be pushed harder and due to cooling that would allow them to go to the extreme of, of overclocking and understanding what that all meant. And right. it was, uh, you know, it was interesting for me. Right. That's really, really fascinating. Um, so who's, idea ultimately was it to turn this so you obviously you guys work together and you solve the problem and you had something that looked like it would work uh whose idea was it to turn it into a company so when we when we got going we realized that money was a, a problem we needed some funding at least to uh to at least carry on just just buying a computer to do experiments on was you know thousands of dollars so i turned to another uh turned out to be a, a neighbor down the street from me that at the time uh, that he was the third man on board, uh, Jason Myers. And, uh, the reason I looked to him is I, I had a, you know, friendly relationship with him as a, as a neighbor, a couple doors down, but, uh, I noticed that he was, uh, involved in, uh, in finance. So, and through chatting with him, he had a, a chartered accountant background. So I thought if anybody that I know in the circle of friends I had, then it would be him that would at least understand how to go about raising money and, and, you know, maybe have a, uh, uh, an interest in, in jumping on board and seeing what the next phase of the company could be. And uh, in fact, he was. I, I showed him what we had been working on for about a year at that point, I guess. And uh, yeah, he immediately saw a different angle than, than Sandy and I did, for sure. He, he you know, had a bit of a you know, different perspective, a business mind look at it. He goes, there's, there's more here than just a, you know, something building for some friends. So he came on board. Uh, we raised a little bit of money, incorporated uh, February two thousand one, and uh, yeah, then he's you know got the ball rolling. So the next the next few years was literally just, just really understanding the technology and where the the holes were and what we were trying to do. And you know, uh, when we did meet with Intel that that in that very shortly after that period of Jason coming on board it really opened our eyes to what the challenges would be, um, you know, for reliability and things like that. We weren't really thinking along those lines at that point. Uh, but then once they highlighted that, you know, to work with industry and to productize something and actually get it in the marketplace, you know, we had a ways to go. So that's, were they, um, were they, uh, help along the way or was it like, this needs to be here before we can go forward or were they like here, let, let us get you some help. I would say more. They were, they were helpful, but in the, in the way where it was almost like side conversations. Like mm -hmm. you guys are really onto something, but you got to do, you know, you got to think about this and think about that. And then, you know, come back to us in, in a month or a year or something and we'll see where you're at. And really after that initial, you know, interaction with them and, and some follow-up calls and whatnot, we, we really kind of dug in and just decided to, to take it and, 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 uh, work on our own, you know, just to, just to try and figure out where we could enter the market. And we were still very early. Like I said, it was, it was even on our first, very first, uh, retail product that we shipped. Um, we were still so far ahead of the curve that it was only the very early adopters that were looking at it and, and, and considering it, right. the price points were high and, you know, so it was, uh, it was interesting how that 
potato. Cool. So with Intel, uh, did they discover you somehow or did you guys reach out to them initially? Uh, with great tenacity, uh, I, I would, I would say Jason Myers was the, the, the guy that would not let up. So he, he went out to them and said, we're working on something that is obviously early, early, uh, you know, development, but we're looking for somebody to potentially partner with or guide us or we're not even sure. Right. And, uh, you know, through, I, I'm, I'm imagining dozens of no, <laughs> uh, but he had a lot of tenacity and he finally got through to the right group, uh, which like I said, was the group that looked kind of five to seven years down the, down the road at what others were doing and, and got us a face to face. Okay. So. That makes a lot of sense. They say, um, uh, a lot of people start businesses because their idea is great and they go off and they produce their idea and they don't have a customer yet. Right. Whereas the smart way to do it is to, you know, start milling about your idea, but to find a customer first. And yeah. then when they're sitting there waiting for your idea, then you know, know you're validated. Right. So that's, that's brilliant that they, that yeah. they went forward that way. Um, okay, cool. Interesting. So one of the things that I'm curious about is with the technology itself, um, I imagine that over the years it's been refined and modified and changed. Um, but how much, like how much different is today's technology versus kind of when you first solved the problem? Is it like totally night and day or? Yeah, I would. So the, the way I look at it now is we we're sort of two, two businesses, really. Um, the desktop stuff where we started, uh, enthusiast market, gaming, PCs, you know, liquid cooling, gaming PCs. Um, and, and the, in the, in the very early days, it was based on a technology that we, we've sort of moved away from, which okay. was thermoelectric cooling, uh, using Peltier coolers is one of our first patents, uh, was born from that where we use a, a thermoelectric module, which is a, a type of heat pump. And it allows you to take the liquid that you, we were pumping through the system, uh, to the chips and, and then back to a heat exchanging module. Uh, it allows you to take those temperatures down below ambient temperatures even, but it's expensive and it's hard to manufacture. And, and, uh, so we, you know, fairly quickly learned that this, the, the desktop side of the business was going to eventually be commoditized and we needed to, um, you know, get a product that could, uh, could get the price points lower and, and, you know, use, use buying power and, and whatnot to, to kind of break down the, the barriers to, to entry. And then the other side of the business, which is n much newer and, uh, it, it, you know, uh, sort of where we're taking the company at this point is the data center market and hyperscale customers, which, uh, we were talking earlier with, with Jason here about, uh, um, you know, what, what those customers are. And it's a finite set of customers that, that we do have. Uh, when we started the desktop experimental sort of sciencey stuff uh, around 2010, 11, 12, like in those, in those years, um, we realized that it was more of a, it's a different story than, than a, a guy in his basement with a computer. If there's an issue there, yeah, it's a problem. We got to watch, you know, we don't have RMA problems or, or issues, but it's a different story when you're talking about critical infrastructure. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So what we're, you know, as we move into this, this market and, and, uh, we sort of did the shotgun blast out to all these customers that are out there being this finite group of, of huge companies that 
we would call data center or hyperscale. Um, and we thought we would, you know, do the shotgun blast and end up with one or two of them. And as it turns out, we're pretty much working with every name in the, in, in the world that, that does what we're, you know, that has this need that we're, we're seemingly able to, to fill. So the challenge now is, uh, we've got this older, mature business that really doesn't take much resources to operate now. It's, it's sort of a self-contained sort of business model that we're rolling through when we supply a product to basically one customer. Uh, so it's, it's fairly rinse and repeat type business and we're, we're very experienced at it and we, we ship millions of units now. So it's a very sort of mature model that, that it's self-contained. And that's still the desktop model. Right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and then, and then now we have this, this new entity building and growing at a, a exponential rate, uh, and partly due to because that all these people, what we hoped to land as customers became customers. So, and you can imagine the, the intense, uh, demands that some of these guys have. They're so big. They have engineering departments that are three times larger than our, our whole company. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's an arm load to, to, to deal with. And, uh, you know, we're, we're doing our best to build our systems and our processes to, to sort of catch up to our, ourselves and, and to what their requirements are. Right. So I think that, you know, the last year for sure has been more of a strategic effort on the management team here to, and, and from our board as well to help us, um, you know, consolidate thoughts on, and how to, how to get process in place that can support growth and scalability. Okay. And so before we got on Mike, Jason was saying, uh, something like, you know, I think he said 10 customers is kind of like your, your, your cap, your focus is on that, right. doing the best you can do and making them happy, uh, is the plan to ultimately get all the processes and all the people and everything in place so that you can scale from there? Or are you really just going to focus on doing that? So right now the focus is making sure that that, that finite set of customers is, is happy with what we're doing and we can support them. And, and the, the potential and the possibilities of the growth in this industry are are huge like so we don't really need to uh you know break outside of this this sort of ecosystem that we've we've sort of surrounded uh to to look to the future really for for growth okay uh, there are other markets that that our technology would work for uh even in automotive and, and other areas like the led lighting you know cooling is a problem in any electronics there's always inefficiencies and so there are there are certain ways if, if we had to, I guess we, we could pivot to, but at this point there's no requirement to do so. It's just getting, getting our company as efficiently um, set up as possible so that we can execute and satisfy these, these giant enormous names that, uh, you know, when I, when I read through the, the list of companies that we deal with on, on a daily basis, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's amazing. The who's who in the zoo, I'm guessing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So, um, with them, kind of your your expansion for the short term anyway would be, I mean, they got more data centers coming online or they haven't implemented the technology in all their data centers yet. Right. So you're, you've are you got a lot of growth even just with those customers. Absolutely, okay. yeah. The, we, we have just scraped the surface and mostly most of the deployments we've done to date in, in data centers is, is on the supercomputer, the super high performance machines that are out there, these 
these clusters that the academic uses or certain certain companies that are deploying as um, you know resources for big government or just giant supercomputers that are used for all these uh, you know new new data crunching uh, problems that they're they're trying to accelerate everything in the right. world right speed is the thing so uh, these deployments that are out there now is is really just on that on that aspect of the, of of what will tomorrow be sort of like the more common computer or uh, you know stuff that's driving all the data that we use for our phones today that that's the next you know sort of evolution um so these big hyperscale companies that uh, that we're working with uh what we call hyperscale they're they're companies who consume their own goods so it's an interesting uh, uh phenomenon where we've got these the desktop, we've got OEM customers that we service who buy and integrate our product and then sell. And then we've got these customers that procure our product for their own need. Mm-hmm. And those guys alone can be larger than all of our other customers combined just by themselves. Right. The amount of gear that they could, they could buy in a year and deploy in a year is, it, it's staggering numbers. And, uh, if we land even one of them at, at the, the point or degree where they say, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to deploy a full data center, say that would be uh that's a game changer just in itself right. alone. One of them right, would right. be. So, you know, the, the idea that we, uh, we need to look other, other places for businesses is, is moot right now. We just, we just need to satisfy who we have. And yeah. We'll, we'll be good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's, an, it's an interesting place to be for sure. Now, um, probably a, um, an obvious question that in some of the listeners' minds right now is, uh, do you guys go into the quantum computing cooling, or is that a totally different world? That's a different world. Uh, yeah, and that quantum computing is just very interesting field, and I think there's going to be a place for that in in the future, but uh, not really a concern for us right now as far as uh, a technology that could come and interrupt what we're doing. Um, that's that's maybe a decade down the road yeah. or even further. Yeah. So, um, but it, but very interesting how those machines work. It's it's challenging to get my head wrapped around how that even works. But it's like you can be in three places at once, kind of thing. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, but from a cooling perspective, they're not just trying to bring it down to you know room temperature a little bit lower. They're dropping it like you know thousands yeah. of of degrees or yeah, whatever. They're, so. they're at uh, some basically absolute zero. Yeah. And, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so with, uh, I guess to go a little bit further on one of the questions I asked earlier. So now, now if we look at, if we focus on your main customer base of these data centers and what have you, are you focusing mostly now on better ways of producing your technology or are you still making really big leaps and bounds on developing your technology further? Uh, well, we're, we're, we are making, uh, progress on, on, on the products themselves, but it's more uh, refining, uh, finding efficiencies, um, so that the product itself can be, uh, you know, spread across multiple platforms. For example, um, we, we took an approach a few years ago that has lent itself to be a very wise decision, uh, which is to take the pumping portion of our solution and put it, uh, you know, centralized and in, in, it ends up in, in, in one of our main components, uh, which is the coolant distribution unit. And, uh, that was a, a, a very mindful decision that we made back then that, uh, 
has has been widely adopted by customers. It just makes more sense to them uh, as far as you know what how the technology can be deployed and minimizing the the variabilities that you could have with with say thousands of pumps being distributed through the system and uh, is another way that you could look at doing it. So yeah, with our products, um, it's been more iterative lately. Uh, we, we haven't made really big leaps in, in, in how we approach making product. We've definitely refined how they go together and uh, we've taken a modular approach to how componentry is shared between one platform and another. In the very early days of, of data center, we were basically retrofitting uh, more than we were uh, integral to the design of the OEM. Okay. So we were, we were getting called from the end customer would phone us and say, we need to take this older platform and try and enhance it so we can make it last longer, get more out of it, which was a challenge in itself. I bet. Um, so we, we did do that for a few years. And then as our technology started being adopted more and more, uh, we found the interest from the OEMs was becoming more uh, serious. And they started helping us earlier in their process as they built up their technology. We started seeing blueprints and drawings and uh, models from them and then even samples from them on product they hadn't even released yet and, and future stuff they were looking at. So that has allowed us to you know, broaden our, our ability to integrate deeply into the into the fabric of what they're doing right so now the difference between going to a customer site retrofitting our product in something that's existing now we're we're deeply embedded in the technology and shipping our product to our customer the oem that's integrating it at, at the site where they build right. the server and uh, then other componentry of ours is is added in on site that that surrounds the the technology that goes right into the the IT equipment itself. Yeah. So, I would say that yes, we are making strides and improvements, and and we're continually getting more horsepower, I'll call it, out of our equipment and and the ability to 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 cool the the equipment, uh, and even to the point where. Most of the customers in, in the space now are looking at our, our solution as a way to eliminate cost even out of their, out of their product by eliminating fans. So that, that takes away the possibility of breakdown of, of multiple fans in a server. It makes the server environment potentially a, a nicer one to, to, to be in. It's, it's quieter. And it's probably you know. not as freezing cold. Yeah, it doesn't need to be a you know a, a giantly chilled room. That's where it, you know we could get into gory details on on uh, capex and opex and all the all the reasons that they look at our solution in the end. Even though right up front it might be a little more expense, but in the end game, a lot of these guys it depends on how they slice and dice their their thought process and where they want to save money and how they want to do all that stuff. So, well, having been in data centers. Um, I suspect that with an with an existing data center where they've already got the cooling technology and the floor and all that store and you know coming up into the racks and all that, your technology would be more more likely to be a, a huge benefit in when they're building a data center 
and then you're cooling the system right exactly where it's getting hot rather than building all this infrastructure to have uh, cool air flowing through the floor and up through the back of the rack and then having a hot side and a cold side on the on the the rows of servers and stuff like that right there's yeah that so most data centers today are are looking to the future and they're they're implementing what would be what we call a secondary network and that's the piping and plumbing and things that the the IT would actually connect directly into um, so that's that's exciting for us because that means that the industry is is setting up for the the next big wave which we hope to be at the front of and uh, and uh, you know we're excited to to help you know foster that in in their designs moving forward have you had any um, business I guess would be the best way to put it with the the whole Bitcoin mining stuff that they've been doing? Because I can imagine that would be huge value to them for cooling those massive machines. Yeah, so that's an interesting that you bring that up. Uh, yeah, we had our, our heyday in that, I'll call it. Uh, about 2014 is when it really took off for us. Um, we had some of the larger names in, the, in that field uh, come to us with insane problems. They, they were if there was a wild west of insanity in in the world that that is for sure so um we ended up basically designing deploying all within a very short period for one of the customers in particular a uh, a solution that pushed boundaries as far as we we've ever seen like with with high performance chips and processors that our our customers that we had to that point didn't think was even possible you know? oh wow 500 watt chips, you know, open bare silicon dyes, the things that were to, to a, like an Intel of the world would, would just, they're like, no, we don't want anything to do. That's nuts. It's crazy stuff. But for us, it was a very big challenge. Uh, but it was also a, just a shining light of revenue that we had no idea was even on the horizon, let alone landed right in our lap. So 2014, I think it was, was, uh, the, the big push that we did in, in that field. And then as the prices started to plummet and a lot of them just disappeared as fast as they came, uh, we sort of stepped away and said, you know what, it's, it's, that was, that was fun, but let's, let's get something a little more controlled and, and, uh, maybe leave that alone for now. So, so if, just personal curiosity, if, if, uh, there was a Bitcoin mining operation somewhere could they still come to you and get some of that technology or would it be uh, unavailable well I, I think at this point we would look at it like uh, more of a distraction than anything we've got uh, we've got uh, nice stable business customers coming to us uh, I think we would I, I would I would say we wouldn't say never but unless it was something that we could utilize technology we currently have that was almost a plug-and-play then we would probably think twice about that makes sense <laughs> another good business uh, move is to avoid the shiny things right so. yeah yeah and we've been guilty of that a few times but i'll uh, I, I would say that this time around we, we would probably just uh stick to what we're what we're currently doing and be happy with that cool um what would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned along the way wow hiring smart people is is you you can't go wrong doing that. And, um, you know, I joke about this, but, uh, most of the people we have here are far smarter than I'll ever be. And, uh, 
it's you can learn so much just just for and it, I don't care about what age they are. It's it's amazing when you sit down with some of these young people that are they're just pushing the the the, the envelope of everything. And what I find is, you know, I've been doing this now for almost 19 years. Uh, you can get you can get stuck. You can get complacent. You can think, oh, we need, we've used, we used to do it this way. And that's, that's a dangerous place to be. You, you got to open your eyes and listen to uh, people around you, especially like I say, the smart people that we seem to be attracting these days. So that's uh, never be afraid to be the, the dumber one in the room, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's a smart philosophy. Uh, um, I guess contrasting to that, what's, uh, what's one thing that you've maybe a decision you made or something you guys did as a company where you, you look in the mirror now and you're still fist pumping yourself. <laughs> well, I'd have to say just, uh, well, let me, let me say it this way. When I decided that this is going to be something I was doing full time, I was one month away from making a decision to purchase the company that I was previously working for. So I had ran that business for nine and a half years and then one full year with my own funding and own company name and the agreement with the gentleman then who was retiring was I would run it for a year and make a decision to buy it or not. So it was, I remember very clearly it was April of 99, I guess. So I went to him and I had one month to go and I said, I'm not going to do this. And he got quite mad at me, actually. It was an interesting reaction. I think I was his, his full-blown retirement plan. So when I, when I backed out, he got quite mad at me. It's, it's the one and only time I've basically been fired. Oh. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, that's the way it went. I, I didn't expect that reaction from him. But I would say that, uh, you know, that decision to, to just take a chance and go for it was, uh, I, I look back on that and think, man, life could have been very different you know i i wouldn't have got to travel as much with the, with what we've done here i've i've seen a lot of the world and i think i've been to china 22 times i believe oh, some, wow. something like that i got voted as the guy to go there so that <laughs> <laughs> was very early on um so so yeah i think that that was an interesting pivotal point i guess cool i look back on it cool and um over the years, like growing a growing a company like this and coming from where you came from, how has the the company culture developed in in your organization? Well, we you know, when I look back, uh, we survived looking back, like raising money uh, to start with to get the company going was right after nine eleven. Oh, so terrible time to start a company, but we in dot com crashes and all that stuff in that era. So we managed to push through that and actually get the company started. So that was interesting. We had built up the company by 2008, and there was the worldwide crash that happened. So we survived that. So we've been through a lot of ups and downs, and a couple of times we've grown and shrunk, which is a challenge. And uh, it's really, really sad when you have to actually let people go, which is is reality. But it's it's a tough thing to to survive. Um, but culturally, it's 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 been really interesting lately. Um, I think we're finally at a point where the, the company is actually getting more attractive. So the talent that we're seemingly uh, being able to attract is, like I was saying, very qualified professional people that have come from oil and gas industries or, or other industries that want to maybe have a little change of pace, maybe something like us. We're quite fast moving. 
so that's that's really neat to see that the talent pool that we're attracting is ever increasing and uh retention's quite good you know and so i think that i think that shows that uh, the management team and, and and our board are are helping us to uh to listen to people and and accommodate as much as we can you know as we're growing we're we're always spending money on upgrading equipment and trying to do as as much as we can to to support the growth in that way but also to try and make the environment better for for people so i, I think we're doing pretty good in that regard awesome are you guys currently hiring at, at the moment or yes we are uh we, how many people in the last week have we brought on? do you recall Jason? 15 people in a wow. week are you is there anybody that you're looking for that you're you you're having trouble finding if, if they're listening to this or someone was listening to this knew somebody that was looking would there be anybody that should be banging on your door right now well i would say just keep your eye peeled uh we've got we've got things out there we're we're posting all the time so uh, if, if you just uh look look on all the normal sites for you know uh for job postings and stuff there there's opportunity out there Okay. For pretty much any position, I would say. Okay. <laughs> okay. And I assume you have a careers page on your site or we, something? We do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting the last few months is, uh, we have been bringing manufacturing back from China. I, I would like to make sure we get that in there because that, that was a major focus for the company for, for several reasons. We wanted to, uh, wanted to make sure that our quality was the utmost and it's always challenging, you know, not, not just because we were manufacturing in China, but, um, it, when you're, when you're removed from, from the, the source, you know, you know, it's hard to keep your eyes on it. And we no matter how much travel you do and how much you're at the, at the source, uh, things can go sideways. So we, we just wanted to make sure that we were, we're doing our best to, to make quality product. And, uh, as as well as you know to support our customers as best as we can excellent so. well that's very cool um before we wrap this up is there anything that you'd like to say or share that uh, that i didn't ask you or that you think would be a great uh, piece of information for the listeners well I, for, I forget where i heard it but i brought the word up earlier and i would say if there's somebody out there that's teetering on whether they're going to uh you know jump in on a an endeavor of their own of some sort um, I think the most important thing you can, you can do to, to, you know, keep in the back of your mind and, and endeavor to do is, is that word grit mm-hmm. that, uh, that one stuck with me when I heard it uh, on probably some other podcast. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's just one of the most important, uh, you know, superpowers you can have to, to survive and keep going and, and stick to it. Yeah, I think as an entrepreneur, you're going to hear, I mean, you're just destined to hear lots and lots of no's and lots and lots mm-hmm. of can'ts. And uh, to be able to just brush that off and keep going is what all the great businesses of the world have accomplished. Yeah. And, and congratulations to you guys for your growth. Uh, Thank you. That's absolutely wonderful news. Another uh, uh, Calgary success story, uh, which is which is absolutely brilliant. So Maybe not overnight, but it's... Uh, <laughs> Nonetheless, we're doing quite well. So excellent, excellent. <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing you guys at the rainforest, and uh, and uh, happy to uh, to follow you guys and uh, hear how things are going in the future here. Thanks, Al. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Right. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract. 
Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-source, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social-barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is sponsored by Capturing Legacies, because everyone has a story, and Capturing Legacies is here to help you tell it. Visit CapturingLegacies.com for more information. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.